0: As we prepare to hear the message, let's say together a prayer as we read from the word. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Isaiah 25, six to nine. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. Christ is risen. (laughs) Christ is risen. Along with millions of Christians across this world, the faithful confession of the church has been for thousands of years, that we worship a Savior that rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and there intercedes on our behalf. And because of that, we have a hope that transcends all circumstance because that hope is secure in the risen Christ. Amen. Uh, The Apostle Paul, in, uh, in the New Testament, Echoing the text that we just heard in Isaiah, he would say it this way. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm asking you to hang with me right from the beginning. On Resurrection Sunday, amens are okay. Raising your hand is okay. In case that scripture doesn't inspire you, I thought about John the Revelator in the last book given to us in our scripture. And the vision that John gives us is a profound vision that again echoes the prophetic witness of Isaiah. This is what he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, Everything new. Then he said this, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Thanks be to God. (laughs) This morning, I suspect that even though we affirm this day, the resurrection of Christ, that for many of us, accessing what that truth means daily is perhaps harder in a season like we've had. It is one thing to confess along with the faithful witness of the church across thousands of years and across this globe. In every tribe and tongue today, there are Christians affirming this truth. But it is something remarkably different to live as if that truth that we confess is actually true and influences the way we live our lives. There seems to be a real challenge on days like this to not only be a confessing community of that which we say we believe, but to allow such faith to penetrate our very hearts and minds so that we would access the hope that is profoundly given to us through the risen Christ for our everyday lives. And so this morning, I wanna challenge you to believe that what we have confessed with our lips and believe with our hearts and are transformed by our minds can make a difference for you and for us in such a time as this. So I want to invite you to pray with me. On this day where perhaps uh, it is easy to hear another sermon, that we would believe the prophetic word anticipates the hope in Christ that we believe today But that as it has been spoken 700 years prior to Christ, and now as we still speak at thousands of years removed from His resurrection, that God is the God of life and hope. That God is the God of resurrection. Let, let Let me put it to you personally, because I think that's how most of us enter Scripture. If there are some things that have died this past year, If there are some things that we've lost this past year, if there are some things we fear we're going to lose in the year to come, let me just offer you the word that comes from God that commits himself to us and says to us, oh death, where is your sting? But in Christ we have... And as we gather here today, I, I, I don't know how to preach this. There's some scripture that you know you want to kind of give a lot of context and, and, and go in there. But there's some times where scripture just needs to be heard for the power it conveys. Sometimes we just need our ears open to hear again that which we have heard many times. But that it would apprehend us in such a way that we know deep within our hearts and souls that it is true. And so as I pray with you this morning, I invite you to pray a prayer of faith. Father, speak to me, for I need your hope. Speak to us, because we need your resurrection hope to transcend just our minds, but to change our very hearts. I pray this morning that if there is someone here who's gathered in the assembly or online who is... Has had just a hard year, just a tough year, just a challenging season? Maybe Lent has felt a lot longer than 40 days. I pray that we together would apprehend the grace of God that calls a banquet in the midst of a troubled world and says, I will take care of everything that kills my creation and I will redeem it. I pray that we would access this hope, not by forgetting our troubles or our pains or pretending that the world is perfect, but that we would access the hope as the psalmist accessed when he said that my God prepares a table for me in the midst of my enemies. Who is this God who invites us to celebrate the victory even when the war is still going on? It is the God of Scripture who is faithful to His commitment and His promises and says to His church today, Resurrection Sunday invites us to come up on the mountain and see what we have not seen for a while, that God is still on the throne and that He is able to overcome Satan, sin, death, pandemics, and all sorts of ills because he is God. May such faith apprehend our hearts this morning and may you by your grace be merciful to your servant as I stand behind your pulpit and in front of your people. May the desire to know this truth deep within the marrow of my bones be a witness to the resurrection that only you can bring to all who place their faith and hope in you. Father, we are not gathered here this morning just because we are ritualistic people we are not gathered here this morning just because we miss the fellowship of the community help us to be gathered here as a people of faith who wants to encounter the hope of the risen Christ so that we would proclaim to all the world that Christ is risen and with such resurrection comes hope for all mankind may it be true May it be true today that somehow through the ordinary thoughts that you've given me reflecting upon your word spoken so long ago, you would speak to the contemporary heart and mind and situation of each person gathered here and listening online. But more significantly, you would speak to us as your church that we might be faithful to your calling. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who has overcome Death, and in whom we find our life. Amen. We are to be a people of resurrection hope. And so that means we anticipate what one hymn writer put so well. A day when our face shall be made sight. You remember the song? The clouds be rolled back like a scroll. The trumpet resounds, and the Lord will descend, and we will all say it is well with our souls. But as we wait for that final coming, that resurrection that would complete all things for us in this world, how are we to do so as a people of hope? How are we to wait, yet believing that in Christ and His resurrection, some things have already been won on our behalf? I suggest to you this morning that in the ordinariness of our life, we often kind of don't think that we're really accessing the spiritual truth we have or need. But God is the God of the ordinary. He seems to speak to us in ways that perhaps we are not paying attention to when we're just going about our daily lives. But I'm so grateful that God can apprehend us even in the ordinary, mundane experiences of day-to-day life, reminding us, whether in the laughter or chuckle of a little toddler, or in the communion and friendship we have with others, that He is the God of life and hope. But I know, because I am a realistic person, between Ruthanne and I, I am the half-empty part of the glass. Anyone like me? I'm the kind of person that that the first response I have to any challenge is, I don't know, my wife's like, it's going to be okay. (laughs) There's a reason God gave me a wife like that. And this morning, as I think about this text, I recognize that Perhaps there's some of us here that's looking at life this way. The glass is half empty. It feels a little hard, a little tough stew, a little challenging. i got to be honest with you folks. I'm just going to be honest. Just a couple of weeks ago, I kind of hit a low. It just feels too long. And there's so many things that I'm worried about, concerned about. There's so many things that's on my heart. I don't know if I have enough strength to carry all that I'm burdened by. Are you feeling that? And what I need, I don't possess in and of myself. (laughs) As smart as I am and as strong as I am, Wally, yes. As educated as I might be, as put together as I'd like you to think I am, I do not possess such hope in and of myself, but I look to the one who does. And today... Isaiah invites those of us who are sitting here and saying, Stu, I agree with you. I feel this is going on too long. My life is not what I think it should be. I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. Even those who are close to me don't know really the pain that I feel in these moments. I want to say to such a person amongst us, come on up to the mountain. Come hear what Isaiah says to us about what resurrection life looks like. You know, sometimes... We need to recognize that we have to be pulled out of where we are in order to see what we cannot see. And I think, you know, days like today, Resurrection Sunday, Easter days are days in which the Lord would just want to kind of give us a, a glimpse of what escapes our mind when life feels the way it has felt. The scripture begins this way, on a mountaintop, on this mountain, says the scripture, the Lord of Hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines. Get this. In Isaiah, there's several Isaiahs, and we can talk about that at another point in time. But in Isaiah 24 through to 27, biblical scholars have called this the Apocalypse Isaiah. Because it has all these kind of images uh, that, that speaks about something drawing to an end. In fact, in chapter 24, there is strong language that says God is bringing judgment upon those who have rejected Him and disobeyed Him. And then in chapter 27, which book ends this Isaiah uh, apocalypse, it says that God will restore and redeem. So get this. That Isaiah 25 kind of finds itself in between these words of judgment and these words of promise. And in the middle of the judgment and the words of promise that is yet to be fulfilled for God's people who are being taken into exile, the prophet offers a word from God that goes something like this I'm preparing a banquet in the midst of your troubles. The God of the psalmist, the father of our Lord Jesus, the one Paul encountered on the road to Damascus, and John the Revelator envisioned, the great shepherd of Israel says, I'm preparing a table for you in the midst of some really tough times to show you what you need to hold on to because I am faithful to my word. I don't know about you, but I want to know a God who says, I know what you're going through. "'But come up with me so that I can show you what you need to see "'so that your faith will be renewed and you will hold on "'and live faithfully even in a troubled world.'" Come up on the mountain with me today. Come see what your eyes don't usually see. Come grasp what I want to reveal to you. I just want you to hear this word today. Would you step into the place where God can give us a vision of life as he sees it. And we hold on to such hope because he is faithful. The people of Israel, the people of the land... Land shapes how people think. I was talking to a friend of mine. He's in Boise, uh, Idaho. And uh, yes, I have friends, (laughs) even international ones. And we were talking about his last visit here to Calgary, and I was describing for him, uh, you know, Calgary as if he had not been here, because I just wanted him to remember. And he said, man, it's you know, he says, you, it's kind of pretty flat where you live. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Have you seen the Rockies? And he was like, yeah, but, but that's like an hour away. I said, but that's our claim to fame right here in Calgary. We're close to the Rockies. Now, People tend to think of, uh, not think so much of how land shapes The way they think about life. But the Bible will have us understand that the people of God were brought out of the land into a liminal place in order to be transformed as God's people. And in the journey of walking from one land to another, on many occasions God would invite them up, whether it be Moses and now through the prophetic witness of Isaiah... Up on the mountain, it's as if God is teaching them that they are on a journey. And sometimes when you're in the midst of it all, you forget where you've come from and you forget where you're going. And I think Israel suffers from such forgetting. You know what Resurrection Sunday is? It's an invitation to get up on the mountain with Isaiah and to remember where God has brought them from in order to apprehend where God would eventually take them to. I think that this past year has been a disorienting year and perhaps it's the closest the Western church in particular has come to feeling powerless, to feeling lost, To wondering what tomorrow will hold. I want to say something very important to you. And I say this with care. Learn to appreciate the times when you're not in control. Because it drives you to depend on the one who leads even in the wilderness. The reason the Apostle Paul could pray like this, God, I thank you for the struggle, is not because he was a, uh, a sucker for punishment. It's because Paul apprehended what Israel should have learned repeatedly is that even in the difficult places of life or even in the suffering places of life, There is a redemptive hope that comes because of who God is, and when we allow ourselves to see who He is, He speaks words of life and hope and brings life and hope even in very difficult places. Do not, I think the Scripture will tell us, forsake the desert, forsake the wilderness. Do not think That when you follow Jesus, and I think this is important for us to hear as the church, that you will not go into dry places. But when the Spirit of God, which Isaiah proclaims, invites us up, be obedient. Allow God to give you a vision that you do not have in and of yourself. So many of us are struggling with this particular season, and we are rightly saying, I just don't know, but we confess we have the risen Savior. Remember a few weeks ago that great sermon on Numbers where the serpent was raised on the pole? You remember that? Fantastic sermon. We laughed, we cried, we danced, you know. The cross is risen before us in the person of Christ to turn our attention to who knows what the future holds. And when we begin as Christians to walk through the desert, let us keep our eyes on the one who sits on the throne. I think that Isaiah is pointing us towards a hope that we can only access when we look up and not at each other. A hope that we can only access when we believe that even in the circumstances of life that is hard, that God is still present and faithful. I don't know what is keeping your gaze down. By the way, this is not even my notes. That's all right. I don't know what's keeping your gaze down, what's keeping your focus on everything else that is not the true hope, but I want to suggest to you, as I need to hear this today, we need to look up and see who our God is. Isaiah paints for us a picture of who this God is. He says this is the God who puts together a party. On top of a mountain. Come on now. <laughs> and get this the choicest of meat and the finest of wine. Woo! <laughs> I, uh, uh, one of my fondest memories is when I was able to go back home to South Africa with some folks from, from, from Calgary, from Skyview, and we got to go up on Table Mountain. Now, if you don't know what Table Mountain is, uh, you know, when Excuse me, all the restrictions are lifted. Come and visit me in my office. I've got a beautiful picture of it right there. And in order to get up to Table Mountain, you can climb, which a good friend of mine from here, you know, he called me up before he was traveling to South Africa. He says, man, he says, I I like hiking. Where should I hike? I said, you want to go and you want to hike and climb Table Mountain. And he did it. And he speaks of how incredible the experience was. But when I took this group back home, well, you know, we all kind of decided to go. I didn't really take them. uh, But, you know, we all went. And we went up the gondola, and we got to the top of the mountain. Right there on top of the mountain is a restaurant that overlooks the coming together of the Indian and Atlantic oceans. And i got to tell you guys, like, seriously? <laughs> you know, geography, where we're from, shapes how we feel and think about life. And, and, and as I looked over that ocean along with my friends, there was such a pride, you know? <laughs> Uh, this is my house. It's kind of like some of you would feel when you take me up one of the mountains here, you know, and just not to ski. I tried that. that I, I don't do skiing. There'd be a sense of pride, you know, a sense of look at this beauty, look at this. And then we ate a meal together. I got to be honest now, the meal wasn't as good as the one described here, but it was pretty good. And when you eat a meal up on the mountain, there's something that kind of, you know, just puts a memory in you. Have you ever had a meal where you just remember it? When I'm speaking about a good meal right now, it comes to mind. You go, I remember how good the food and drink was. I remember how I felt. I just want to kind of kind of leap into this a little bit and, and suggest to you that when God you know, puts this banquet together and he invites all nations, he is giving his very best as he invites the people to see the hope that is there. When Jesus came, he taught on a mountain what the kingdom would be like. Uh, He fed those who were hungry. He cared for the needy. And Jesus embodies for us on Resurrection Sunday what God is intending to do for all humanity, at least those who would say yes to his invitation. It is to join him on the mountain. For a party. Now, let me pause here because I think this is rather important. There's a few things that we read in the text. One, it's a party for everyone. Now, (laughs) I hear that exclusive parties is the. I'm getting caught up on my mic, sorry, folks. Feels like I'm being strangled here. You know, there's a sense in which. um, I've heard that some establishments do this. They limit their numbers and, and, and they become exclusive so that people would desire to go there. So you know how you, you and I respond to a place we can't get into? <laughs> we want to get into it. You know, what, what, what God says to Israel in, a, in this particular place, in a, a time in which they are perhaps failing at an alarming rate, is that the vision of God that God gives them is that He is not only inviting them up until the mountain, but He's inviting all nations, all people. Now, the truth is, if you read the text closely, it makes it very clear that some people will not respond. It's an invitation. It's an opportunity. You know, if resurrection means anything for the church, it means that we go back to the words of Jesus who says, I want you to go out into Calgary and make disciples. I want you to go out in Canada, I want you to go out in the US, I want you to go out to Africa. Someone say, Amen. God really likes Africa. I mean I know I know, you know, Canadians think they're really special, but Africa is really where it's at. You know, Jesus commissions what Isaiah prophesies, that this God prepares a banquet for everyone. If you have not caught from this, your pastor before, what I believe God is doing here at Skyview, I will say it again. He is fulfilling the Great Commission. He is drawing people from every tribe and tongue together because his vision for salvation is bigger than mine and yours. Let me add this to you on Resurrection Sunday, that we practice the hope of resurrection when we learn to love one another as we are loved. Not only is everyone invited, it's the best of meals. I really think Jesus had a good time. And then sometimes I, I, I wonder why I look so miserable. You know, now I've been through some rough times, right? And, and, and so have some of you. Some of you are really going through some rough times. So when I speak about this kind of jubilee type of banquet setting, I'm not trying to be dismissive of real pain and suffering. We'll get to that in just a minute. But there seems to be something that Isaiah is teaching us about resurrection. It is a a joy that derives out of knowing what God has done for us that enables us to rejoice and to be glad even in the hard circumstances of life. When I was growing up, there were people in my church, usually, I usually have more moms, Christian moms in my upbringing than I did dads. I think that's sad. I think it's sad, but I'm grateful for the, God, the, the moms that God gave me. There were women who modeled for me the joy of the Lord in ways that were palpable, in, in ways that were celebratory, in ways that were faith-filled. I learned as I grew up, which often happens when we grow, that behind the joy, there was struggle and pain. I will never forget some of the lessons I've learned. Don't ever judge people when you meet them and you go, man, who who ate their Wheaties? We don't know what goes on in people's lives, what they endure. But can I say this to you? People that have joy and you will never know their struggle and their pain, they have gone up to the mountain. They've been drawn into a hope that transcends what their eyes can see. And I want to recommend to you we need such faithful persons in the church. We need our services to be marked by celebration. (laughs) Come on now. We need, to be, we need to be affirming that our faith secures a joy. You know, I, 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 I don't know. I need help because I am the half-empty glass guy. I need you to come alongside me and to remind me of what I just said this week in the weeks ahead because life is like that. I need to come on Sundays and, and join online if I can't be here to remember The words that God speaks through his prophet that assures me of a hope. And I need to believe that the one who invites me up on the mountain sits at the table with me and fellowships with me as a friend. The best of meals hosted by the best of hosts. But not only is the banquet for everyone, we see that on this mountain where this meal is hosted, some things come to an end, the end of death and the end of mourning. In fact, the Scripture says the shroud of death will be destroyed. If you want to know what that word shroud means, now, I mean, some of you probably think of the Shroud of Turin. You've probably heard of that. But I think, and there's a little ambiguous word here, so I'm just going to make that clear. We don't know definitively exactly what Isaiah is after. But shroud can refer to kind of grave clothes. So remember Lazarus? He was wrapped up in a shroud. And he's entombed, and Christ comes, and he comes out, and the death clothes come off. So get this. Isaiah is saying, at this meal... God's going to do some undoing. He's going to put an end to some things that are bad. He's going to take care of death. (laughs) He's not only going to take care of death, but He's going to comfort those who have mourned. Now, i got to tell you, I I don't know how to say this other than what the text is saying. I, I think that for most of us, we'd rather not think about death. But you know, death symbolizes something. It symbolizes being separated from God. It symbolizes the absence of hope. It symbolizes everything that we clothe ourselves with that leads us not towards life but towards death. It represents for us today the things that are happening in our world that are killing God's people and His creation. And the cosmic nature of what is being said, the big picture of this text is not just that Jesus died for my personal sins so that I would know salvation, but that God gives Himself so completely through Christ that death will not have the final word in all of His creation. Therefore, even as we face the stark reality of death, We don't celebrate it. We don't desire it. As doctors will attest, people fight very hard to stay alive because we've been made for life. But the ultimate enemy of us and creation in Christ today is overcome. I read a... uh, devotional this past week, and I'm moving towards an end, and all God's people says, keep going. (laughs) Based on Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 through 9, I hope this is going to make sense for you because I just captured snippets from the devotional. This is what it says. Revelation 5, 8 through 9, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, listen to this, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. The commentator in my devotional says, it's awesome to imagine that even our unanswered prayers, that all the frustrations, the tears, the dashed hopes, are being stored up by God in those golden bowls and may eventually become our most powerful contribution to the world. Let me say it again. Our unanswered prayers may be the real ministry of our lives. As Tim Chester writes in the message of prayer, prayers we think of as directed to the present are in fact being stored up to be answered on the final day. When, for instance, we pray for those suffering ill health, we are expressing our longing for the day when there will be no more sickness. The prayers we think have gone unanswered may in fact be stored up in bowls of incense held by the 24 elders waiting for a greater fulfillment than ever we anticipated. Many of our prayers are lodged there and one day they will determine the ultimate course of history. Because the one who sits on the throne is faithful and true. We live in anticipation of that which God says He will ultimately do. And even when we are frustrated by the reality of pain and suffering and death, we hope as the people throughout time and history has hoped along with the message of Scripture that in the end God will answer all prayers and renew all things. I need a God like that. This is what we're waiting for. We come up to the mountain on Resurrection Sunday and we behold what is often hard to see and hard to believe. And in faith we proclaim, He will wipe every tear. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said this, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for your word and the opportunity I have, the privilege I have, as a colleague reminded me this morning, to proclaim your word. What a great grace. Father, this morning, it is is our desire to have ears to hear your word and courage to believe it. When the world screams death and hatred and fear, the church looks up on Resurrection Sunday and there beholds an empty cross that testifies to the power of God over all that is evil. I pray for each one, especially of those gathered here this morning, gathered online. I pray today that you would enter the dark places That you would shine your light, that you would save, (laughs) that you would renew, that you would apprehend someone who may not even be expecting to encounter you. May as we face the uncertainty of the days to come, we face that with the hope which comes from your word. And even as we go through the dark valleys, we know that you are our shepherd, you are our God. Amen.